So let's listen together for what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And let's pause here and remember that Peter and rock are the same word in the Greek so this pun is lost on us, but it would sound like, you are Peter, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Peter and his proclamation of faith is what Jesus is saying is the foundation of this church, this covenant community that will be called together. And he goes on to say, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So over here, we have the gates to Hades, but Jesus is casting a vision for a new kingdom. And he says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day rise to life. Now we have to pause here and explain that what Peter meant when he said, you are Messiah, the word is Christos, you are Christ, the Messiah, this is not what Peter had envisioned. He envisioned a very strong and mighty earthly ruler. So when Peter says, you are Christ, he doesn't understand what that means. Now Jesus is explaining to him what it means, it means he's going to suffer and die. That when he rides into Jerusalem, if you recall Palm Sunday, Peter's picturing that he would have chosen the war horse. But we know from our experience with the Bible that he's going to choose the symbol of the Prince of Peace and ride into Jerusalem as a humble Prince of Peace on the back of a donkey, not a war horse. So Peter's horrified by what Jesus is explaining about suffering and dying. This isn't what Peter meant at all. So Peter took him aside, the gospel says, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Satan here can just mean accuser or adversary. So get behind me. You are a stumbling block to me. Now Peter, the rock, has become Peter, the one you could trip and fall over. It's all shifted now because Peter hasn't understood what it means to be Messiah. So you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world 
yet forfeit their soul. That's what Peter was asking of Jesus. Gain the world, but give up on your mission. What good would that be, Peter's asking him. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and our understanding of God's word. So friends, at the beach this morning, I invited your siblings in Christ to trace the symbol of a fish in the sand. And I think as a substitute, you could try it on the velvet cushions you're sitting on. You could trace a little image. It could just be the little swoop like this of a fish. And you've probably seen this before, but this represents an acrostic poem. Do you remember acrostics in elementary school where the first letter, if you write the word down the page, there it, each letter stands for something? The word in Greek for fish is ichthus, and it became an acronym for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And so drawing a symbol of a fish was a way that early Christians could make this same faith claim that Peter made. You are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, you are the Messiah. And so when Christians were persecuted drawing a fish symbol, from what I understand, sometimes they would just draw half of the symbol. And if somebody came along and completed the other half, that would be a little insider message that you're safe with me. I won't betray your secret, that you are trying to follow in the way of Jesus. So I was looking at the website of a church called Peace of Christ Church in Texas, and they have a beautiful passage on their website that says, what we believe. This is foundational to what we believe, of course. And they write many other things. We believe that God is inherently communal, revealed to us in the trinity of God, Jesus, and spirit. We believe the Bible is inspired and instructive for matters of Christian living and that the best lens of interpretation is through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We believe that the best for our world is brought when we work to replace systems of domination, oppression, and exploitation with the bold resurrection way of Jesus. And then they list theology we love. They share this one with us with what we say every morning. Imago Dei, we believe that every human being is made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, that humanity is inherently good at its core. So I thought this is a beautiful thing to have on a website and maybe we could have a what we believe section at First Church. And I realized that the most important thing right at the top would be a disclaimer. And I wrote and wrote and wrote about what this disclaimer would be. Here is the truth about Congregational United Church of Christ churches. What we believe is as diverse as all of the people in the pews. And if a newcomer comes to join us, we will be magnified by the beliefs and the faith and also the questions of that person who comes in. In the congregational tradition, I love it too that we are non-hierarchical. So my eldest who was confirmed last spring at our next congregational meeting will have one vote and I will have one vote and we will all figure this out together. In our tradition, we are 
a non-creedal church. Our covenant is a promise. It begins, we are united in striving to know the will of God. But it doesn't say, we know the will of God and we know all of these things. It doesn't begin with, we believe X, Y, and Z. And if you want to join us, you should believe in those things as well. Diana Butler Bass, the Reverend David Spallett shares this with used to share this with newcomers to First Church, has a way that she describes behaving, believing, and belonging. And in the way of Jesus, and we strive to be this way at First Church too, we don't say that first you have to believe certain things. And then you be behave in a certain way, and only then can you belong. Instead, Jesus said to everyone, come follow me. He invited everyone into a community of belonging. And then through that community, by living alongside people, you would come to behave in certain ways. And through behaving in those ways, you would come to believe. But belief isn't what you think in your mind. It's what you do. So you can see I didn't make much progress. And I haven't shared yet with Trinity what should be on our what we believe section of our website. I barely got through the disclaimer. There are beautiful creeds in our tradition. Raise your hand if you grew up with the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. And could you still, if I called upon you, stand up and say by heart, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Could you say the whole thing? And do you think you could put a check beside each statement that you believe in? But what if you come to one and you had a question mark? Or what if you come to one and you want to cross it out? Does that make you any less a part of this tradition? I would say absolutely not. Partly, I think, because of this unwillingness to be a creedal church, we ended up with this. Now, I want to share with you this article from the New York Times by David Marches, it's an interview with Daniel C. Dennett. It is called How to Live a Happy Life from a Leading Atheist. And just first to introduce you to him, he has been called one of the four horsemen of modern atheism alongside Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, and Sam Harris. He says there are no metaphysical mysteries at the heart of human existence, no magic, no God who makes us who we are. It's science and Darwinism all the way through. He wrote his latest book. He's 81 now, and he wrote his latest book, I've Been Thinking. He's currently a, past, a professor emeritus at Tufts University. And this is a really great article from an atheist on how you might be happy. But where I'm going with this is this question. He was asked, is it right that your sister is a minister? He said, my older sister is the white sheep of the family. She went to seminary and was ordained late in her life. She's still alive. She was raised in the Congregational Church, which became now what is part of the United Church of Christ, which is religion light. If all religion were like that, all religion would be fantastic. You can imagine the dismay that my clergy colleagues are feeling over this article. On the one hand, fantastic that this mainline Protestant denomination has made the news. On the other hand, what did they say about us? Well, thank you for the compliment. I, we also think it would be wonderful if more people 
would come and join the United Church of Christ, but certainly not because we are what he called religion light. And so I was wondering, is it because we don't stand up and shout, this is what we believe, and if you want to be part of us, you have to believe these things in these ways as well. And yet, Jesus did say to his followers, and the Greek is in the plural, he wasn't just talking to Peter, who do you say that I am? So as non-credal as we are, friends, I think it's important that we wrestle with this idea and that we do come to an answer. Now that answer may be evolving over time because Jesus has invited us into a community of belonging. Jesus does ask us to live in these ways. Jesus asks us to belong and then behave and then eventually come to belief. But who you say Jesus is, imagine yourself standing facing Sin City, facing empire, facing systems that exploit people. Who do you say Jesus is? And if you proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, and if you understand that Jesus says he must suffer and die and we must pick up our cross and follow him if we want to be his disciples, friends, who do we say that Jesus is and are we willing to do something about it? Are we willing to do the hard things? Who do you say Jesus is? Friend and healer, prince of peace, person who welcomed and loved and blessed everyone, person who ate with outcasts and sinners, person who was unafraid to face down the powers that be. Friends, who do you say that Jesus is? And I do not believe that who we say Jesus is ever makes us religion light. I find this ongoing wrestling with the question that can change every time you encounter a new person, every time you're challenged, to be a very heavy religion. Religion like a rock. Religion that grounds you. It doesn't have to be a creed for it to be serious business. Friends, who do you say Jesus is and will you follow him?